0: Yes, I'm Pete Smith.
1: And we've found ourselves a veritable amount of kit, because now we're pretending that we're real broadcasters. That's why we're stuck with these new, very all-singing and all-dancing microphones. I don't know what they are. Mr. Pedros over there decided to get them. Yes, but um, uh
0: road broadcasters. I think we're
1: fancying ourselves as professionals these days.
0: Apparently, they have pop mics within the mic, so let's see. Yeah. If we get rid of the S's and the P's and the O's.
1: Hopefully, our nine listeners will enjoy the fact that they're getting quality. Yeah, in the (laughs) neighbours and a small dog. (laughs) What sort of dog? It was just a small one. It was a nondescript small dog. Okay. Not like our purebred ones.
0: I know we have a thing for dogs. Well, I didn't have a thing for dogs.
1: I've never really had a thing for dogs. No. But we've ended up with three. Yeah. But chihuahuas are very hard work. I'm just warning you, don't get a chihuahua if you want to have an easy life. They're absolutely (laughs) awful.
0: Yeah, I found out this morning that our chihuahua, the elder one, the boy, has been using everywhere as a toilet.
1: Yeah, so that's nice. In our new house, we're really happy with that. And he's actually currently having sex with the uh, bigger dog's head. So if you can't see that, you're not invited to the joys of vision. But that is actually happening right now in front of me to the left of me. So it's slightly unnerving slightly upsetting <laughs> but she seems fine with it and that's the thing hashtag me too if you yep, yeah, he's really going for it now
0: yeah it's like head rape
1: wookie just stop that don't look at me with those big brown eyes like it's completely normal what you're doing because it's completely unnatural to be doing that to anybody's head yeah i don't think wookie stop it yes poppy that's right wookie is abusing your head terrible hashtag the life of dogs
0: isn't it i feel like we're on the full radio or something here i know brilliant
1: it is really good it's just me and you in the kitchen as ever but never mind it is it is so i've been thinking about things in the last few days based on the fact that i did this morning yesterday and was coming up to doing the phone in on addiction and a lot of people got in touch actually i recommended a treatment called smart tms which is transcranial magnetic stimulation which is a non-invasive and non Prescribed like medical treatment regarding tablets, medication, but it's really effective for dealing with addiction. Not heroin, ironically. Oh, isn't it? No, coke, crack, um, things meth. like gambling, meth. Yeah, really, really effective. About seventy percent of people are what we consider without symptoms at the end of it, four week period.
0: What about food?
1: Well, again, they've not really tested a lot with food. They think there's a possibility that yeah. it could work with them food. They're just working on smoking now, so dealing with Whoa. cessation. Yeah.
0: That's a big one, that. No.
1: It is expensive, well, though. I,
0: I'm not saying that the others aren't big. I mean, any addictions just... Yeah,
1: they are know. big. They are big, but heroin it isn't working with. And they got like loads of phone calls yesterday after the show because people are desperate with their addiction. And it just started to get me thinking about the times that me and you talk about addiction mm-hmm. and growing up and the kind of places we came from and the lives that we had there. And also our personal experiences of living in small towns and being surrounded by pretty heavy drug culture. Oh, huge. Yeah, and also where we and our paths ended up compared to some of our comparatives, I suppose.
0: Yeah, I think what a lot of people don't realise is that when you're from, what I've found out anyway, from living in Manchester now, People live in the city. Obviously, there's inner city kids and there's there's the areas around. You know, it's always there to around the city. You've got somewhere to escape to within the city, or you can go. There's a lot more going on in London, Manchester, Birmingham. It's. But then when you get into, You see, I'm fr- I'm from a place called Saltburn, which yeah. is on the northeast coast, which you know, um, and it's an unbelievably beautiful place. Yeah, um, pretty little market yeah, town. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I, I'm originally from Middlesbrough. Um, which is. You know, it was a. I wasn't didn't have a tough upbringing. My parents absolutely fantastic as a kid. The, the area where I lived though, it was there was a lot of um, it was a lot of violence, uh, a lot of fighting. Um, I mean it was like running the gauntlet for a long time. You know, we lived in a nice area of, of sort of Eston and Middlesbrough, but there was areas where it was literally. You know, you got your doorstep, and you know that at some point someone's going to start wanting to attack you.
1: Yeah, you said you fought all the time, you just yeah, had all yeah, the time.
0: Yeah. Um you don't realise now that you look back and some of the other some of your peers at the time who we you thought were um coping as well were, were were getting sort of involved in getting attacked and, and and stuff too from throughout school. Um but I moved from from eston in like third year senior uh, what the year is that now like year 10 that year was nine. so crazy you
1: were sent back to your school in heston though mm. for a year yeah, yeah, I thought it <laughs> like was hours away the teachers
0: and my parents thought it was all around yeah be good just why to, move, to d- get the bus which took an hour and a half in the morning and then an hour and a half two hours in the evening why
1: do parents and do that i
0: uh they just i don't know the teachers my parents just, made me
1: stay and yeah. my senior sixth form and I hated school. And they agreed with the psychologists and the teachers that it would be better for my consistent care yeah. if I stayed at the place I hated. I literally,
0: I don't think. I think. I think they underestimated the journey. Of course, you did And My schooling from from when I moved um, and kept going to the same school, my education went down. Like like wasn't just down. It was like it was sort of up there in the top maths group. I was I was really top footballer in, in the team and outside of the team, I was. Um, Ah, i was a break dancer i was an artist i was like i was one of those people that, that still am that i like to just do everything try everything um, and it just went all the way down just i mean literally started fighting even more so uh, so i was literally scrapping almost every day
1: you got horribly bullied though didn't you yeah
0: yeah i did i did uh, it's, it's fair to say um I don't think those bullies are really doing anything anymore, so <laughs> No. <laughs> you know, so it goes to show that you know, most of time, most of the time bullies don't really end up anywhere.
1: But you weren't like somebody who was bullied and took it, you fought back constantly. Mm. So I think that's a different kind of experience in the fact that even though you were really badly bullied on a physical level by groups of boys, because you fought back you never necessarily interpreted it that much as bullying. You kind of took it more as scrapping, didn't you? Yeah, it
0: was a lot of it was a lot of scrapping.
1: It's only yeah. On your own reflection, that yeah. you can kind of say, "Well, there were loads of lads coming after one person." And
0: yes, I mean, I got, uh, I got a good kick in quite a bit, you know. Um,
1: and that's what led you to becoming so violent in your own life, wasn't it?
0: It did, yeah. Uh, it also. W- so when we moved to Saltburn, it was I can only describe it as, oh, it was like it was like landing in a in a in a whole new world of what was me. Yeah, you know, there was because I was into sort of breakdancing, uh, amongst other things the, the sort of graffiti, graffiti element the sort of the the subcultured hip-hop you know and not many people of my age around that time in the the and Esten- Middlesbrough area were, just didn't it wasn't on the radar yeah. and I moved to Saltburn and it was like every kid there <laughs> that I end up getting involved in annoying and becoming really good friends with for uh, you know and still am were in a hip-hop and like just you know they had connections to sort of London and Ireland sort of some of the hip-hop guys over there and it was just they're all at like the graffiti you know they were out before I even moved there they'd been out doing graffiti and stuff you know so it was it was just nice you know and, and getting a knock on the door from from people saying Do you want to come out yeah and chill you know and I was only really young never really drank alcohol never done anything you know and um that's when it started to become really interesting.
1: (laughs) I remember those days when people used to knock on. What's happened to that? My kids would never, you know, our kids would never leave this house and be like, there's a new kid on the block. Let's go and knock on and call them out. Like, I can remember that happening all the time. Like, you just go to the door, there'd be some random kids be like, coming to play out. You'd be like, yeah, I'll get my coat. (laughs) And then you'd like be best mates for like three weeks and then you'd never see them again. I I can remember meeting my Probably my home best friend because I had like a best mate when I was a kid called Colette and she was just like the coolest kid. She was like my pre-under 11 best mate and I came from a small place like you did. She knocked on the door one day. I was seven years old and she asked me out to play and that was it. She was just like my best mate for years. And then one day, as they did in the like 80s, they don't tell you that things are about to change. Suddenly my parents said, Colette's not going to be living there. Her dad's been made redundant and she was gone. That was it, I never saw her again, literally never saw her again. And it was like heartbreaking. And it took me quite a while to get back on my feet in that context. And then 13, I was on a bus. And back in the day I was a little bit naughty and I was up to things that maybe I shouldn't have been doing. I was heading off on my my own to bury the bright lights of the city, (laughs) (laughs) you know, our local place, bury. Big deal though, you know, when you were a kid, going on your own. I used to just go for a wander. And this kid sat at the back of the bus and she's smoking a fag and she's wearing kind of quite towny. That's the context I'd dress her in, towny clothes. And she's like eyeing me up and down, you know. Another kid about similar age. And then she kind of puts her head back and she's like, so what are you doing? I was like, I'm just going into Bury. She's like, you want to go with me? I was like, yeah, go with you. And boom, that was me and Gemma Matthews until we were 17 years of age, became really close friends. And there was another girl as well, Janie Nightingale. But basically, that's how I met my mates. Janie Nightingale, a gate crashed a party. I can still remember this. This is hilarious. I was so weird. I look back and I'm like, I mean, part of it would have been in my pain. Do you know what I mean? Part of me was pain and I needed to do things to distract myself from my personal pain. (laughs) I would as a young teenager, like I had fake ID. So, as our kids know, I used to be head librarian. Very lucky when I was a kid, I had a teacher who, in spite of me being a problematic student, really believed in me. Mrs. Skinner, she's dead now, she died um, just over a year ago. She's one of the most incredible teachers. I think anybody who met her, if you were a kid like me, if you were a bit difficult, if you're a bit challenging, but you had a big mouth. She just saw that there was something in you. And actually, a young woman got in touch with me not so long ago on Facebook. She was asking me about program. She said, I feel that you went there. And I was like, yeah, she was like, I went there. And we ended up having this conversation and she'd had exactly the same experience with Mrs. Skinner. Mrs. Skinner had singled her out in all of her pain and just looked after her and made her mm-hmm. feel valuable. And when they say that there's a teacher who changed your life, no, Mrs. Skinner is that teacher. Mrs. Kerr secondary, but Mrs. Skinner made me feel like there was hope. And yeah, basically... I kind of would would go and hang out in, in those days and try and gate crash parties because I would be head librarian and have made fake ID. Used to sell my fake ID for a quid at the interchange. They were very good. They were very well done. And I would go to parties. So I was in the pub one night, probably about 16 at the most, probably coming up for 16 at least. And I got my fake ID and I'm on my Nuki Brown ale, which I hated, but everybody else seemed to drink it. And oh, I didn't even did. have yeah. didn't even have friends there. You know, I was just going in on my own. It was so weird sitting around with this group of kids, and I hear this girl saying, oh, there's a party down in Berry." So off I go, following them. I'm going to follow them. So I get on the bus, and I follow them. I literally follow a group of kids I don't know. I don't have anything to do with them to Berry. I follow them around the back of B&Q, and it turns out there's a party on it, this guy called Mick Gibson. Never met him in my life, right? So I just hang back with these kids, and as they go in, I go in with them. And that's how I met Janie Nightingale, who became she's a pretty incredible woman, actually, Janie Nightingale. She's got such an interesting story. She'd be interesting to get on here. And she's there, drunk out of her mind, falling across the thing, kind of connect with her, hang out with some guys that then become my friends in the end. And the next day I meet her on the bus and again, we became really good mates. How kids don't do that anymore. That's how you connect, isn't it? You connect that way.
0: It's a social media. It's the immediacy of the technology that we have now, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, maybe
1: that's it. Maybe they just know everyone.
0: I remember getting, you know, I've explained to you before, organising to go to the cinema, travelling for ages, getting there, waiting for like two hours for no one to turn up, like to meet me, to go and go into the cinema. And I didn't know, so then I just trundled the phone, you know, tail between the legs, and then yeah, give him a call from home, because that's the only time you've got a phone, if you're allowed to use it, because it costs loads of money. But nowadays, it's just, you know, just text or <coughs> Facebook. <coughs>
1: Sorry. I'm
0: hey, joking. Are you all right?
1: Ah, uh, now? now I've got this really bad cold, haven't I? You, uh, just to add to that. The story doesn't end there. The story is that you ran him up, threatened him, and then when you saw him the next time, you punched him in the face. Yes, (laughs) yes. Don't stand me up, bitches. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Had a few, yeah, a few situations like that.
1: Piers was so important, though.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the whole sort of, (laughs) sorry, the dogs. That's our dog.
1: Stitching her ear.
0: Um, So, moving to Saltburn for me. It was because Saltburn's sort of the end of the tr- end of the railway line. <coughs> you call you it, it the vortex. Yeah, every, not a lot of people call it the vortex. Um, a good friend of mine, John McGough, I think, came up with that. He's um, yeah, he came up with the Saltburn vortex. Uh, and he wasn't there for a while, and now he's there again. So yeah, it must be a vortex, and he's yeah. But it is a beautiful place. It is uh, you know, it's very it's a very small town. Everybody knows everybody's business, <coughs> and if you if you're all right with that, it's fine. I, I like I like sort of Manchester now, I like to go and, and be, you know, in a sort of more city, but, you know, you do miss it a little bit, but, I, 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 like, lately, you know, because I'm, I'm sort of getting to that middle age thing now, that's what you're doing, I'm you know, 40, 45, I'm, I'm all am I'm 43, I'm right? 28. 20 28, 28, I'm 27. Yeah, cool, well, I'm 28, so <laughs> in 20 years' time, <laughs> I just, you start having this sort of nostalgia and Things that you think about the people, you know, and, and the friends that you had, and, and what, well, <coughs> excuse me, I'm choking now, and why they disperse, and I look into soap and, and actually, quite a lot of them are still there. But I think you know? that
1: that's to do with when you are young, you just have no value for things. Like, I look back. Some of the really good friendships that I had, I had no value for them. I just expected that it always keep happening because my life had always exampled that. So, you know, you met people on buses, you met people on trains, you met people in nightclubs, suddenly hanging out with them. I didn't know that when you started work and you weren't socializing like that and people started having kids, I didn't know that that meant that you just didn't keep those friendships. So I didn't value them enough to kind of keep them pursued. Yeah, all so, of a yeah. sudden, you know, you're looking for people on Facebook, hoping that you might be able to find them. And I don't know what it is about some of my past contacts that have not bothered with social media. Probably dead, if I'm honest. Yeah. But, you know, they're not there. <coughs> I can't find them. I can't reconnect with them. And it's that nostalgia. That's what you're talking about. It's the fact that all of a sudden you get to our age and you're like, these people had great meaning.
0: Yeah. You know, I was, didn't know yeah. these
1: people had great meaning, but they had great yeah. meaning. They unfolded my story. They added to my story. They gave me guidance and support. You know, those cups of tea over, you know, a cigarette or a spliff, you know, those mm. kind of conversations when you were a kid. And you just had no sense of value for it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've actually been sort of, uh, in the past sort of couple of months, looking on Facebook, finding people that I used to know, whether if I, it's been, it's sort of gone separate ways because of issues or whatever, But you just look back and you think, well, what was the point in Exactly. That? What was the point in that? What these was the people, argument about? Yeah, these people were huge to, to, to my story you know and and i don't s- understand why i'd just let them just not not so much being involved in their life but knowing that they're, they're this, the the string of connections still there with them because they're part and you know what i think i've been finding out really from some of the sort of social media elements and posts and stuff that a lot of people of my age and around the sort of age group are feeling quite similar. exactly the same yeah yeah and it's which it's nice in a way because you know you're not by yourself and your memories because your memories it's like a film isn't it in your head you know and the memories to me it's like watching it through a camera you know and wishing that you could have captured them in other, some other way than just your memory. You well, know. you wish
1: you could go back to those moments, those parties, those conversations, right now in the blink of an eye with all the things that you know now,
0: yeah. where
1: you've got so many responsibilities, that those tiny things that used to really annoy you about yeah. people are so minuscular in comparison to yeah. what really matters. That The things that you were so unforgiving about, like, I would be unforgiving about the way somebody looked at me. If oh, yeah, I thought absolutely. you looked at me. Yeah. Like, I can remember, like, having rows with girls and guys about, like, what are you looking at? Yeah. And, like, that Asking kind of term, you know, what are you looking yeah. at? And there'd be people that you kind of got on with, but, you know, you'd have had a little bit too much to drink or you might be under the influence of something else. And suddenly you don't want to speak to them anymore. and then Thank God there wasn't any social media back in the day. Because I think the damage that I could have done and you could have done with our feelings, because we
0: were both very reactionary.
1: I'm not reactionary anymore. That's not who I am. And you're definitely getting better at being less reactionary. Yes. But I've learned that that doesn't work for me. But I learned too late. You know, I fractured relationships and those relationships were fractured in return by people. And I think when I look back, I'm like, wow. I look back actually at my first marriage. And me and my ex-husband got married just because we were mates. Excuse me, is you You know, we were just mates. <laughs> yeah. Keeping it real. Facial expressions of yawning in- included if you're watching us on the YouTube. Yeah, if you're not just listening to this on a podcast and you're watching me on YouTube, I apologise for my facial expressions in advance.
0: It's called hardly having any sleep because <laughs> we're working on I today.
1: have. I got up very, very early and had a very long day yesterday filming a lot. That sounds really glamorous, doesn't it? It wasn't glamorous. Anyway... Coming back to that kind of thing about the choices that you make when you're young, I think back to my first marriage and my first husband and I, you know, get on now. We were just mates. We just didn't know what we were doing, where we were going. And to be honest, we didn't really leave the house very often as best mates. We were just always in together, hanging out. And so we kind of got married thinking that it was never going to happen any other way. And I don't have any regrets about that. I've got two amazing boys, you know, from that marriage. It's as simple as that. I wouldn't have had them otherwise. But I can remember the arguments that he and I had they would like be so off the chart when we were younger, things that had really no meaning, tiny little things that you'd be peed off about, you would blow into these ridiculous arguments, you know? Hmm. And it would get to an escalation point. You know, where we'd have three or four days where we wouldn't even speak to each other. It was ridiculous.
0: Yeah.
1: Everything seemed to have so much more meaning when I was younger. Yeah, it's and crazy. I remember people in jobs saying to me, one day you'll realize that you're being idealistic. And I used to look at them and think, you are such a wanker. You don't have any reason to patronize me in that way. I know what my ideals are. And now I hear it differently. I think what they were saying is, the things that you have such ultimate meaning over when you're young will dissipate and become more normalised. You you won't feel as aggressive about holding on to some of those feelings. And I don't. I definitely don't. I'm so much more kind of moderate and I suppose boring as well. You know, I'm quite like boring and I get excited about the idea of doing up a bathroom. You know, I can spend nights in bed thinking, oh, I'm going to paint my hall and I'm really excited about it. And it's ridiculous. I get excited. I just get excited
0: over it. We're like, we've got a
1: big garden. We're going to grow veg. It's going to be the good life. We're probably never going to have to shop at the greengrocers
0: again. Life is like a butterfly. Got a call there, long. Oh, God, don't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just... um. Yeah, I get excited over anything, you know. I always have done, really, I think. Quite an <laughs> excitable character. I'm like a puppy.
1: Yeah, you are like a puppy. <laughs> the thing is as well, though, it's part of, like, holding on to things that matter as well because, like, the thing about being, like, older is that you don't want to internalize everything so it's all about you and your kids and your family you know there are such bigger mm-hmm. issues that we want to be present in but you're kind of constantly battling against the ordinariness of life you know they're yeah. kind of getting on with the everyday things and like there's a part of me that kind of goes Oh, one one day when i retire i'm going to be able to do abc and you don't want to live in that future focused perception you don't want to do that because in my head, I'm still going to go and live in a New York apartment and yeah. like live a friend's life. That's what I'm going to do. Because in your head, you've still got those ideas like we were talking about with the rock star situation. You still have those feelings, don't you? That's something that you yeah. can just hold on to. But when I look back now, definitely the nostalgia is all around those connections that were very much around recreational drug use and hanging out with each other. And the difference between, I think, my experiences and your experiences is is when I was a kid, heroin really didn't play a part in the culture that I hung out in. It just didn't, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, in Saltburn, it didn't for a while. It was, you know, a good few years of recreational drug use. I mean, you know, I'd I'd never really drank or or, or done anything really and, and... the first experience I had of that was, you know, I had had a huge handful of magic mushrooms, you know. (laughs) Good old psilocybin. Yeah, and that was when I was 16, maybe, something like that. And then it was just, yeah, it became part of everyday life for me, recreational drugs, really. I I went went to art college. So that was, you know, and a lot of my friends went to art college as well. So it was still the same crew. We were hip hop and, you know, we were you know, we were like a gang, really, you know, without the sort of, like, criminal ties where you go out doing stuff like that. It was just more of this, this huge crew. I think you'll
1: like find ex- recreational drugs in the 80s were extremely yeah, illegal, well, Mr. Yeah, Mr. Smith. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, it was more of a squad, really, you know, and we'd like, free. yeah, it was like a... Aer- I mean, there's there's a, there's there's a few of us and had the salt aerosol squad, you know, and that was, yeah. We were like, really we're, opening the ad uniforms yeah, and everything. We were, we were literally, it was like we were live, living in, in, in sort of, you know... America you know (laughs) and it was like we were but it was just it was really we were all into the the real sort of gritty hip-hop you know from you know gangsta through to you know even like onyx watching out new mtv raps you know we we all thought we were these hip-hop dudes you know we we were really we just weren't (laughs) from the ghetto in you know and these these lads these girls and lads and they were just brilliant brilliant kids you know we were all just and you know there there was in in (laughs) <laughs> circular, <laughs> circular scrapping and arguing and stuff for all the time like you get that but generally everybody it must have been a big wide circle of, of you know up over, over 200 people really you know of, who knew each other who at uh, varied parties and you know it was it's quite insular in Saltburn you know and everybody likes to I mean for the size of the place there's something like 20 odd pubs you know yeah a lot of live music really decent but there's, there's so many cultures there I mean gr- growing up there you had like sort of you'd have rasters you know, you'd have, um, you know, punks. Of, yeah.
1: You'd have punks,
0: wouldn't you? Yeah, punks, punks ra- ra- or oh, punks. Yeah, I mean, I used to learn goths, goths. Oh yeah, I mean, so goths, oh, yeah, I mean goths, punks, rastas, all the hippies. You know, the they're real still there. Of, yeah, all the arty it types. It started with yeah. a twig. It started with <laughs> a twig.
1: <laughs> Private joke, but yeah. it has meaning.
0: You know, and um, everybody sort of got on. You know, and this at one point some people came back from they must have been in London or working somewhere and they came back with, with, with heroin. And at the same time there was some of the punks that were using it up in uh, New Mask, which is another place sort of near Saltburn. And room. you left I home at sixteen, didn't you? I did I left home at sixteen. I went and lived so in young. New Mask and it was a very, very, very hedonistic house that I lived in and on the corner was the punks and the Rastas and it was just, you know, there was <coughs> various blues parties going on in various places and it was um, it was hardcore you know and it got to a point where it really was hardcore there was you know there was speed ecstasy you know acid acid lots of acid yeah get, acid is lots a big one not it but I mean, what it was is salt burn because it was near the end of the track it was like whenever it was in wherever you could get. If you couldn't get any weed, you'd go and get some speed. If you couldn't get speed, you'd go and get LSD. If you couldn't get LSD, you'd go and see if you yeah. picked any mushrooms. So it was quite, and it was, you know, but it was all recreation. It wasn't, it wasn't even at the point where it was like any cocaine or anything like that was involved. Nothing like that. It was all just... Yeah, Coke wasn't
1: around really, was it? In it the it wasn't. Of it 90s. was known as something, no, you'd yeah. see it in
0: like, you know, Looking like you'd see
1: it in yuppie films, yeah, and stuff, yeah, yeah. yuppie films or sort
0: of New Jack City, yeah. it's like a form of uh, you know, yeah. And you'd see sort speed of... speed
1: uh, was the kind of thing that yeah, was local, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah,
0: speed with, with LSD and even ecstasy before that, that's just started to really Ecstasy come was in The 90s, yeah, really, yeah, and that was sort of the early 90s, yeah, and the 80s, we more acid
1: mushrooms, yeah. weed,
0: and so like speed, it was just you know, but then this heroin started trickling in, and some of the guys that you would have thought would have. Known a little bit better because of the, the, the parenting and the parents <coughs> in the background and stuff, you know. Well, not, to s- me. Not saying that they knew better, but I mean, no, 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 no I think it's
1: okay to say that. I think my kids know better, our kids know better, but it doesn't stop you from having peers and peers and the power. See, that's the irony. Yeah. You no, know, when I think about my kids, we look at our boys and I know right now that they are not taking any drugs, yeah, yeah, yeah. and we know that. One because of our really clear, and open communication with our boys. That's number Absolutely. one. But secondly, they don't leave the house. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's winter. It's cold. I'm comfortable at I home. I like to think
0: that we, we we used to call it. We you know the scar. That was know, like uh, so y-
1: when we were like when I was twelve, hmm. I was out.
0: Yeah. That was what I was, think what we, I was we'd like. We'd be able to tell, you know, our parents, and my parents, I'll get onto to it in a minute, but we, we'd be able to tell if, if they were taking...
1: Absolutely, know, my God, if they watch it with their eyes. We know the
0: score about it, you know. It's, I can you know, remember. educated, you know, Absolutely.
1: I can remember when I was... Oh, I was pregnant with my first son. So I was pregnant with my first son. And I went into the doctor's. I don't know what was going on. Obviously, something was going on with me. My mum was with me. She'd come with me. I was sitting in this emergency doctor's. These parents walk in with this kid, right? And this kid looked no older than 16. And I look at him and he's got the fear badly. Oh, I mean, he has got the fear in tons, right? And I'm looking and these dead middle-class parents. See so when, you,
0: when, you, when you say the fear, it's it's um, it changes in different areas, you see. You mean he's on a downer. Massive. Yeah. The
1: fear is there. Yeah. He's got the paranoia. Yeah. He thinks he's going to die. He can feel it. Yeah. He doesn't even need to open his mouth. And his parents walk over to the desk and they're explaining to the woman on the desk that he doesn't know what he's taken, but he's taken something. And the woman on the desk, bear in mind, yeah, this kid is desperately, desperately... Well, that's what I was like the first time ever. Right, yeah. yeah. And the woman goes you need to take him to hospital. And I literally said to my mum, "Mum." that's the best thing to do, isn't it? Best thing to say, in fact. I said, I'm just going to get up now, mum. So I waddle over and I just go to the lad and I get the lad and put my hand on his shoulder and I look at his parents and I go, he's having a bad time, he's probably dropped a pill. I said, he's going to be absolutely fine. I said, you know what you need to do, sweetheart? I said, you need to stop worrying about this feeling because it's going to end. I said, but mum and dad, I said, you're going to take him home now. I said, on the way. You're gonna go to Tesco, you're gonna get some pure orange pure juice. juice said, so get as so much vitamin C in him. I said, Then you're gonna go home, put him in a dark room with a bit of subdued lighting, put some trance tunes on, and just be with him, stroking his hair, telling him yep. it's all right. I said, and I tell you what, it's gonna be absolutely yeah. fine. And the kid grabbed me and went, Thank you, <laughs> thank you. And I went, just came yeah. home now. And the parents were like, Thank you. And yeah. I was like, I oh, was just i Saw and felt it for him.
0: <laughs> well, the like, you know, woman sitting behind the desk saying, she might as well just said to him, you know, You're sense, going to yeah, die. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know what you need to do, son? You need to go home and cut one of your own arms off. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs>
1: you're going to go to yeah. hospital. They're going to yeah. arrest you. Going to you're scoop going you. to go to prison. They're going to
0: chop the back of your head off and scoop your brains out <laughs> and you're going to be locked up for the rest of your life. Now, oh, now that's what you're going to hear. That's to what hospital. she was going to hear. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah on yeah, yeah.
0: record, you're going to die. Everything's going to eat you. <laughs> you know, it's just...
1: I had a friend who took, um, let's say, a substantial amount of mushrooms one day and was found somewhere and ended up in hospital. And when he woke mm-hmm. up a couple of days later, in and out of consciousness, he thought he'd die. And then when he finally realized he was in the hospital, he read the actual thing on him and it basically said he was a drug abuser. Oh dear. And it was just well, he, that's he felt like everybody was just this shaking this his head and pointing yeah. at
0: him. Well this is this is like it goes back to the story of when living in when I lived in Soppen, and, and there must have been 50 between 50 and 100 young people out on on the night yeah. that I ever that I first ever did Magic Mushrooms. And literally over half of them had done them. You know, <laughs> and literally, you know, and it was this big batch of them that were so strong as well. You know, so for not even drinking or anything, anything everything mind altered. I mean, I thought I'd died. People were in the woods, (laughs) half naked, eating trees. You know, it was like, I thought I was in some sort of haunting. I've never got
1: past the one where you told me that a guy ended up just arriving half naked. Yeah, that was nice.
0: Yeah. With a stick in his hand, like like smoking it, you know, like, it's all right. Everything's all right. I'm all right. And then just disappears coming in mud back again, (laughs) you know. And everybody the morning after, I I worked in the health food shop in and I was you know <laughs> people would come round and they like you're alright Pete and, um, <laughs> well I feel alright no no because those days you were a kid you didn't nothing ever fazed you afterwards you know it was just like and I must admit from 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 my experience with 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 taking um, anything like that from then on was absolutely fine it was like it was just like this initiation period of of thinking I was dead <laughs> I was haunting I was. Uh, literally on a loop <laughs> didn't you wee your wee bed- in the, we weaned <laughs> in the bedroom yeah I thought I was in it. one minute I was just in the bedroom and I was like then I was, then it was a toilet and I was like brilliant didn't even move I had a friend who was staying with me and he came, well, he went downstairs twice and came back <coughs> up the stairs and I heard like dum 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 up the <laughs> stairs door open picked me up slapped me on the face against the wall saying you're alright come on get yourself together get yourself together <laughs> happened twice not in my head it happened every ten seconds on a loop, every <laughs> 10 seconds he was coming up and doing that to me. <laughs> you know, and then it was just like I couldn't believe it. I was I literally when, when people say it <coughs> in another dimension, that's what it was like. And <coughs> you know, that was th- th- because it was such an incident town and everybody was new to it, everybody did it, you know, and that was my sort of gateway into sort of like seeing what what drug use is all about, you know. But the but the heroin thing was it became it became a huge issue because, and I think it's it's quite... my The story that I t- I'm telling now about the small towns, and I think there's going to be a lot of that around the UK, well, you know, across the world, but I'm talking about the UK <coughs> now, and I yeah. think there's a lot of towns that it's happened to where drugs can take over. But once...
1: A oh, boredom, isn't it?
0: Well, once a real, yeah, once a real drug takes over, like a lifestyle, you know, like a... I'll say a real drug.
1: No, I mean a heavy... A heavy sort addiction. Of, you know, like, like
0: heroin is... is I mean, <coughs> people understand what I'm saying, like, when I say that uh, heroin isn't just uh, a thing that you do and you get on with it, you know, P- heroin users say that, but it's not, because it becomes your life, It's yeah. your lifestyle is as a heroin addict, you know, and Everything so say say the I was hit, sat around and I was watching a lot of my really close friends um, chasing the dragon with the foil, you know, and you know, they'd be sat there, I'd be sat there with a play for us and drink, you know, and I, and I, I knew in my head not to do it, you know, um, and just seeing them sort of, and I was just like, this, this is not going to end well. I used to remember, you know, and gradually, I bit, by bit, well. you'd move away from, you know. And in
1: the 80s, they had massive campaigns. I mean, I remember the Just Say No campaign. Yeah. I remember the black and white images of the guy in an alleyway with a needle sticking out of his yeah. arm. I remember the picture of the dead girl. Yeah. To me, when people talked about heroin, they were talking about destruction. Yeah. So because I had that really powerful imagery in my mind and even though I'm sure that people around me who I was at parties with and I was hanging out with and who were taking recreational drugs, yeah, I'm sure that probably a minority of those became dependents. Yeah. But I never knew any of them. I heard about one guy who was meant to be a dependent. He died, actually.
0: Yeah, a lot of my friends have died.
1: But I wasn't connected. You know, I knew who he was. Like, you always know who people are, don't you? But I literally didn't come into contact with that thing. You know, yes, mushrooms, acid, cannabis, speed, even oil. They were all very, very prevalent where I was growing up. Mushrooms particularly because when you come from an area with quite a lot of farming areas, you can kind of go and pick your own. Yeah. But apart from that, even cocaine wasn't really something that came into our world. And actually, yeah. you know, people kind of looked at cocaine as why would you take cocaine? You can take speed; it's like ten quid, not fifty quid. Do you know what I mean? So even then, I like to think in our local community, we were very thrifty. Okay.
0: <laughs> Commonly known as Devil's Dandruff, as you, you
1: know. <laughs> we didn't have any cool kind of names like that. For Devil's it. Dandruff. Do you know what the other thing is, though? And this is something that's really, really honest to God. When I was growing up, nobody educated me about drugs at all. Nobody. No, I didn't. The heroin, I was educated by campaigns, yeah? Mm. We didn't talk about them in our home. My mum and dad didn't drink. I've got really liberal parents, and the fact that they've never judged me for anything I've done. I've never felt like they would disown me or make it painful for me if I didn't meet their grade. You had a different life. I didn't. When yeah. I was a kid and I was being awful, my parents welcomed me home. I'm not saying that they welcomed me home without discipline. I'm not saying they welcomed me home without judgment in that context. You know, yeah. they weren't happy with my choices, but they always made me feel like home was just mine. Yeah. Whereas yeah. you didn't get that. You were out. You were on the streets. You were in a bedsit. That's yeah. horrible. Yeah. That I think might have affected my mental health very differently. I'm not sure that I would have been the same person I am today if I'd had your experiences. And to be honest, I think that you surviving that was pretty impressive, full stop. But when I look back at growing up personally, things like acid, I can remember at 14, somebody bringing acid into the pub. I didn't even know what it was. I didn't know it was illegal. I just knew that people would drop it. So like when you're in that environment, you're not even making a conscious choice about whether it's legal or illegal. It's just, this is what people are doing. Yeah. Magic Mushrooms, you can buy, th- you can pick them up. I know. You could you, They were free. So again, there was no real connection with this is illegal. Mm. I can remember a friend of mine getting caught with eight wraps of speed and he actually got it dropped in the end to possession. But initially it was possession with intensive supply because he was just the guy going and picking them up for the lads on the Friday night. Yeah. At the, only at that point, did I get told it was a class B yeah. and it was actually something that could get you eight years in prison oh at the oh time. Yeah, yeah. I had a friend who went to prison for a year for having an ounce of cannabis, one ounce. These days you wouldn't even get more than a fine. Yeah. But back in our day, you know, the war on drugs was oh, big. Was but I had not made that connection. I hadn't,
0: it, it took me a while to make that it connection.
1: It just doesn't, you don't think about it. Same with cannabis. Mm. I didn't think that something that could be smoked was something that you could get into trouble for. And that's not making an excuse of people in my day who took loads of recreational drugs. But I did not differentiate between anything really. In fact, the one thing that I thought wasn't okay was alcohol. Yeah. To me, at, at 18, alcohol was legal. I grew up in a household where my mom and dad would have a teetotal. It was as simple as that. They might have a bit of wine around the table at Christmas. We were all allowed wine. They didn't have an issue if I wanted to drink. I didn't drink alcohol yeah. so I was 26. 26 years of age, you know, I'd have a Newkee Brown Ale in the pub. Mm. You know, I'd sit with it. I wouldn't even drink it. You know, I was a Diet Coke girl. Or when I found out that you could have blackcurrant and soda for 11 pence, I was a black yeah. currant and soda girl. So that was kind of my orientation with legality, egali- like yeah, illegality, yeah. it was alcohol.
0: Well, Yeah, I mean, it's open that the alcohol... Well, you do, because you know, people
1: wouldn't alcohol, give it you in shops. Alcohol
0: situation in Saltburn would cause more violence yeah. and more aggro, You know, um, and all the areas around it, you know, there was there was quite a period of time where there's certain areas like Mask and Saltburn and New Mask would fight against sort of East Cleveland and, you know, but then like the sort of rave scene really kicked in in the early sort of 90s and, and you know, uh, filtering through from the 80s, the acid scene, you know, into the uh, the E scene, scene was yeah, a happy, e scene and then, happy and then scene. Literally, everybody was just... I mean, everybody a,
1: went from fighting yeah. to hugging. There was
0: a place called uh, Fillmore's yeah. in Saltburn, which was known on the map for, you know, trucks and cars and, you know, buses coming from all over the UK would come up to Fillmore's because it was a big beat. We had Hacienda. It was like a smaller version of... of for up, up in that area, and you know, it was really well known. And it does go down in history of being like the every area has well yeah, no, of club course, like that, Angels you know. in Burnley, yeah, um, Wigan Pier in Wigan. And that was that was leading up to the sort of you know, the, the, the sort of heroin stuff. And I don't think, I think, I think, you know, I'm almost sure it wasn't so much the parenting, you know, because you can't blame the parents because they struggled for a long time. I remember speaking to a lot of the parents, we parents it. don't know, no, it was just there was no educated on the because. F- the buzz that we were getting from drugs and then heroin comes along. And I say, I've never done heroin. So, no. I, you know, but people have described it to me, you know, and like I've taken tramadol for pain relief, you know, and you feel, so imagine, imagine I've that. i like, Yeah. And so pethidine
1: is like, I think a liquid form, opiate, like medical yeah. of opiate. And all I can tell you is they gave it me without, I had chronic mm. pancreatitis because I was pregnant and my gallbladder had gone septic. So I had to have pethidine because otherwise, if I went to like a really bad phase, I could, yeah go into early labor and I already was a special care pregnancy so the pethidine one whilst ironically I didn't have any pethidine during the birth I didn't have any pain relief just to say that so I kind of can deal with pain but chronic gallstones they used to have to give it me to stop the kind of attack and they would have this thing where I'd have a card and go into the hospital and they'd just give it me and then I'd have 45 minutes and somebody would have to take me home this particular day they didn't give me the anti-sickness tablet sorry the anti-sickness injection it was an injection so they usually give you one before and because of that, when they gave me the pethidine, I was sick. Now, yeah. I've heard of people saying the first time they take heroin. Oh, yeah. it's a, but what I also know is it was the most pleasant feeling in the world throwing up.
0: Yeah, that's what. Now, yeah. if
1: something can make throwing up feel like a pretty orgasmic yeah. experience. And I was saying to my dad, that is the nicest yeah. feeling I've had. I, I remember
0: head. sitting around and, and Absolutely.
1: watching. Absolutely. I was spangled spangled and i was in what can only describe when they used to give me pethidine i felt like i was in the warmest bubble of safety
0: yeah everything was right
1: everything was beautiful and you know when people talk about your first day and that connection with the whole new dimension of possibility and suddenly all the boundaries of intimacy that you feel are awkward or just completely dissolved and the person that you're just talking to and dancing with on the dance floor just suddenly is like somebody that you just look at and think you're beautiful it wasn't like that because that's like a connected experience you know Mm -hmm. so when you're on e and you're in that kind of connected space you're sharing it you're engaged with it you really feel that connection with the pethidine which is meant to mimic those opiate experiences it's singular yeah, you're not bothered about any other world. You're not caring about the person next to you. You don't give a shit whether they're enjoying themselves. You are at perfect peace with the self. Yeah, as
0: well, you see it's all my friends you sitting on gouching, they call it gouching, you know, where you just be, uh, you know. You but that's this. the versus yeah. the
1: the kind of what I would consider recreational drugs, yeah. which are to some degree a connector with heroin and yeah. opiates, which are actually a almost a detractor from connected experience, a singular individual experience where it's all about you and then the behaviours that that elicits. Yeah. It's all about you.
0: Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, there's a lot (coughs) of my friends, um, you know, got into trouble.
1: Stealing, stealing robbing, taking from the families. Yeah. yeah,
0: You know, and, you know, quite a few have passed away, you know. Um, So unnecessary. Oh, I mean, you know, young men who, Young men who just you know there was there was there was young men and women injecting into the you know into the thighs balls of the feet you know because because once it's finished you know with the, the the sort of god knows how long they did it for chasing the dragon you know and then up the limit up it up it you know they have the foil around with them and they'd fo- unfold it and it'd all be like lines on the foil they'd already made it all you know. Um, and I'd just be like, come on, yeah. you know, and you have to gradually start r- moving away from that. But the thing is, like people
1: want you to do it as well. Like yes. Even with all the yeah, jokes. Yeah, I did like have,
0: I had a lot of, uh, yeah. uh, you know, these, and I don't blame them well, No, all, because the thing because is, when you
1: think you're doing something that's really great, yeah. you want your friends to do well, it and with you. I'd let my friends
0: in, you know, and I'd be doing whatever, and they'd be like getting it out. And in the end, the actors asked them to leave, and I said, no, I can't, you know, I don't want to be associated with that. Because people started associating me with it, you see, because it became, because it's something so small, the heroin sure. sort of epidemic up there became, you know, these certain people. People knew who were doing it, and there'd be certain people who, 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 who were really good at hiding it, you know. But you know they were doing it, um, and I never did it. But I was getting associated with these people, not these people because oh yeah, my but friends. Oh yeah, those people. And even my parents, you know, oh they didn't they weren't educated on drugs, so they thought, oh he's hanging around these heroin addicts, he must be on it. And I've, I used say, tell I'm telling you now, you would know if I was on heroin, because you wouldn't have anything left in the house. Yeah. You know, fair enough, I took a tenner off you every now and then without you knowing, you know, which I got in trouble for, and that was just for buying some beer or some weed or something, you know, like, you know, no excuses on that, but you'd know if I was on heroin because you'd be able to tell, yeah. you know, and I wouldn't I would, wouldn't be going to college, Mum, and I wouldn't be, you know, and it was just, I so had my issues, but I wasn't to the level that some of my friends got to and put their parents through absolute hell, and they'll actually admit, and they know that they've done that. It's like I see on
1: Tide and Evans' social media, you know, they've got some friends and connections that maybe have come from a less privileged background and have moved to kind of quite difficult areas because maybe they're involved in the care system or they've got some special orders on them. And on the Snapchat, you'll just see them stood there and there'll be a picture of, like, beer, Jack Daniels, Spliffs. Mm. And I can remember when I was a kid that there was this almost ridiculous association with you're cool, you're a bit edgy, you're a bit different, you're a bit down and where with the kids and you would kind of have that reputation which you wanted to call. You know, you wanted people to associate you with like being the person with the most tolerance and yeah. being the party girl and the party boy and you were always invited to everything because you know what, you would get as hammered as possible and you'd still be there the next day trying to continue that. It wasn't even about the drugs, it was about saying I belong, I I connect, yeah. you know, I am in this with you. Because you always, in childhood, in my opinion, certainly when I was growing up, I just felt like I was on the outside of everything. And the thing about recreational drugs like ecstasy is whatever the negatives associated with it, when you're a young person full of worries and anxieties and you look at yourself and you question your beauty and you think that you're so bad at stuff... When you take something like ecstasy Mm -hmm. and suddenly you feel like you belong and you're safe and people get you and that you're beautiful. You know, you can look in a mirror and go, wow, I look so beautiful. And it's so obvious why that makes people connect with those kind of drugs. Now, I am the first person to say that, do I want my boys taking drugs? No, because I don't know whether they would be safe. That's my main problem because we don't regulate and legalize yeah. in the country here we don't tax it so that we know that the quality is going to be of an acceptable level even though you can test it or get it off the dark web and hopefully that will give some trip advisor reviews for you for most people you don't know what you're getting now it's changed yeah when i was does. a kid on the streets and people were getting drugs you kind of knew if you got a strawberry you kind of knew if you yeah. got a yellow screaming window pane, you kind of yeah. if you got your judge dread you knew yeah, right yeah. And even though it was like mild, yeah. compared to what it is now, you, I knowledge. mean, it's, it's like the
0: ecstasy, you know, the doves. You got, got your white got doves. White you got doves. Yeah, of that you was did. It, straight across the board that the, it was safe. You yeah, know?
1: exactly. And then what's happened now is there's so much dirtiness associated with what goes. Well, into Well, criminal things.
0: activity and the cr- the, cr- the money they want to make. You know, uh, it, it comes. It's it's down to that. You see, it's, It scares me. I mean, this is what's going to lead us on into. Know, getting, you know, getting one of our guests on about you know the the sort of pros of, of drug legalization. Yeah, he's going like to come and talk to us yeah, in the next couple of weeks. Like Portugal, we think, but let's go further than that and you know d- bring the crime down, put it into rehab, really tax it, really look after this sort of you know because it's just going to keep getting worse and worse, you know. And yeah. More people are going to be taking you know, s- legal high stuff, which is now oh, illegal, but it's just, you know, horrendous. the stuff which is just, come on, you know, that's just like stuff from like, bloody, like a Blade Runner movie, you know, some science fiction bollocks, you know, it's just terrible stuff, you know, it's and you know, Awful. I just think that it needs to be really sort of, looked at by people that just don't sit on their, little castle chairs, looking down all those their minions, thrones. yeah.
1: Castle chairs of thrones, castle Sorry, I just wanted thrones,
0: to throw I that in know. there. I'd just like to add though, that the, 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 the all the, you know, going back to the, the bed story, all the, some of my good friends that did pass away through heroin use, you know, the the, the people that I I do and still know, who've who've um, have, have got through it, you know, bar one or two which are still struggle, I think, you know, and I do, I do know actually, you know, people grow up, they've the, the, the struggled through, they've managed to fight all those demons that they had because of that drug, you know, but the problem is with that with it is I've noticed that. When you, when you start taking heroin, uh, the, some of the other people I've met, the brains haven't aged until the day that they stop taking yeah. it. Yeah. So say they've been doing it for 20 years, and they start when they were 18. You know, they're like, you know, coming up to say 28, 48, or whatever, 45. You know what I mean? So it's 15, 20 years. It's still, still quite similar age in the head. Yeah. You know, nothing. It's like a... Piece it's of a Pan. Th- yeah. It's like they've been ripped away from the planet and put back again, you know. Like yeah. But in an older body, because you know this this it's been about heroin for all that time. But yeah, big big respect for those those um, friends of mine that managed to kick all those demons out. Because I tell you what, watching from when I was a young man growing up, seeing it all around me, that was it was it must have been difficult for their own families. And I couldn't ever even think what it was like to be going through that you
1: know it blows my mind though that people don't talk about it honestly I mean in the media it's rife you know drug use is rife I mean I don't take any drugs you don't take any drugs and we haven't done for a very long time you know because one I had children and there was absolutely no way that I was going to live a life that could affect them negatively But I also genuinely, when I look back, Mm. think it was just that I didn't even think about it. I didn't know anything about it. It's just what we did. And nowadays, I think that we educate kids in such a different way. Like I talk to my boys about it all the time. I say, if you're ever, ever, contemplating taking drugs, you need to talk to me about it, you need to have that conversation because I cannot control what they do outside of my home, but I can control what they know about what they do outside my home. And that really still, for most mums and dads, I think will play on our minds, particularly because lots of people didn't take drugs. You know, my other assumption when I was growing up, because I came from such a small place and everybody just did recreational drugs it was just our social life i was the same i didn't know that people didn't do it so i didn't when i meet and i meet people and i think that being a psychologist i have to be honest about who i am i don't pretend that i've lived a life where i've just been perfect in fact probably my neuroses and my difficulties have created who i am and i'm kind of okay with that but i live a very clean life now you know, i'm vegetarian have been for a very very long time yeah. you know i'm very connected with nature i do these things that i feel make me healthier and happier than i was when i was young you know i was, i'm so much more happy as an adult who's developed who doesn't have that kind of influence in my life But it's made me see the fact that often people just start taking drugs because they don't even think there's a choice. It just seems like the most normal thing in the world to do. Mm. And the only way that people can start having those conversations and connections with people and developing and changing is through conversation and permission. Yesterday, there was a girl who rang up the show and she said that she was smoking this ridiculous amount of weed every single day to self-medicate. And it was the first time she's like got in touch and spoken about it. And you're like, that's because she thinks if she tells people she's going to be in trouble or if she tells people she's going to get judged. And in society, this silence where loads of people have taken drugs, right? But they're never going to tell you because they always want to look like they have done it better and they have created a life that's more charming than yours. But I'm not like that. I'm like, my life was dirty and broken at times and I messed up and I didn't know where I was going. But then I got myself together, I started working, I've totally committed to working with young people and educating young people, then I've moved on to the media. If I'm not willing to be honest about my experiences, and how on earth can I expect my clients and people who get in touch with me on TV to be honest about theirs? Nobody's perfect. Drugs affected my life, they've affected pretty much every adult that I've ever met's life. And for those who've not done it, well, for the grace of God, go you because it's very little about choice bases there. It's usually about opportunity because I guarantee yeah. if you've been in a group with peers and they're doing something and you're not, you're not going to be mates with them for much longer. So what are you going to do? You're going to choose your peers and your friendships and your connections and your commitments to yeah. them, which matter, or are you going to go, no, I'm not going to do that. And the truth is, bar on very many occasions like you've had, such as say you no know, to heroin, fair comment, that's a choice that you kind of make on a lifestyle level. The rest of it, you just do what your mates are going to do until suddenly you find yourself realizing that that's not who you are. And going back to what we said at the very, very beginning, definitely one of the reasons why we let go of all those relationships that now have great meaning to us is because you have to make a choice. What is your choice gonna be? Are you gonna carry on doing that? Are you gonna carry on smoking weed till you're 25, 30? Are you gonna carry on getting high every weekend because that's what your friends do? No, you're not because you can't live the life that we're living now. Without giving all those things up, yeah, that's right? Absolutely true. But you put some safe distance in between you. You realize that, hey, I'm never going to be that person again. I don't want to. You know, I've done it. I'm far too old. You know, I'm grown. I've developed in a sense where I can have relationships like I have with you based on love and connection and authenticity. And we don't need anything to have that experience together. I've got my children who literally are an extension of me and make me feel so valued. I know I'm the most important person in the world for those boys. I know I am the most important person in the world for those boys. That means I have great meaning. I don't need anything recreational to make me be reminded that I have possibilities and potentials and to help me see things in a different way. I don't need to see things in a different way. Everything that I see now is clear and it has great meaning. Mm. So now when I think about the relationships, I can return to those people and it doesn't matter where they are because nothing of their choice is going to influence mine. But that's why that distance has had such importance, just as much as it's also created, as you said, loss and nostalgia. Yeah. So the reason you are able to now think, I want to reconnect with these people, is less about where they are and all about where you are.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, wanna, I mean, I've said I've... I've um I had this idea of, like, I'd love to like get these all these people that I knew just back together to just get this, you know what you used to do at school? Yeah. Take a massive photo, <laughs> like a huge photo, you know, because that's what I, the way my, my brain thinks about sort of you know, media elements and, you know, digital and photography and film, you know. But then I thought oh, I'd love to make, because of, uh, this this situation must have happened in so many different towns. Yeah, in you want to tell stories. Yeah, you know, and... Yeah, if you're, somebody, just,
1: if you're somebody who's taken heroin and you've been a, a dependent, we would love to hear from you and you've kind of got your life back together. Because I think that's really important, Like, not that we have an issue with people who are dependent on heroin now, you know, everybody has their own issues, but if you're somebody who's maybe transversed that experience of going from being a dependent to being completely clean, please get in touch with us because at the end of the day, we would love to hear your story because we're telling it from an observer's point of view. <laughs> Um, Right, okay, well, I reckon that's the next one done, isn't it?
0: I think so, yeah. Because if
1: we don't, we're just going to carry on going on and go on to a completely different subject, whereas today we've actually managed pretty much to stick to talking about impact of drugs, both on self and on others and also touching on a little bit about friendship and loss from when we were younger. Yes. And one of our listeners got in touch and actually said, please can you write a description of what the podcast is gonna be on so that they don't just have to listen if they aren't necessarily interested to the content. It's a very good point. Please still throw things at us. And also it's been really nice people getting in touch with us and saying, look, can you cover A, B and C? We want you to carry on doing that because it really makes a difference to make sure that whatever we're talking about content wise is of interest to you. We hope you've enjoyed it today it's quite strange for me because this is quite personal and it's not necessarily a platform that i ordinarily discuss my feelings on obviously i did under the skin with russ russell brandon i was very honest about my hedonistic past But it does feel a bit risky me doing it, but in the same context, I hope that that means that the conversations that you guys are having at home are going to be a little bit more open, authentic, and you're going to be a little bit more brave about who you are, whether you were perfect and peaches and cream or a little bit cracked and dirty like I was. Anyway, join us next week for Making Sense of It, and we may have a guest next time, which is slightly exciting. I can also hopefully I'll have been healed from this horrendous cold that I've got which is why I sound like a 75 year old heavy smoking male
0: <laughs> don't forget to subscribe
1: don't forget to subscribe and you can also follow me on my channels Emma Kenny TV <laughs>